Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement, Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, It becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity to present special guest Sherry Gabba to the show today, licensed psychotherapist and life coach. Sherry is a licensed psychotherapist and life coach who helps people cope with codependency, addictions, trauma, and mental health issues. She's a single mom, and once her daughter was old enough, she returned to school to receive her Master of Social Work from the University of Southern California. As a leading expert on addiction and recovery, Sherry's TV appearances include VH1 Celebrity Rehab, CNN, Inside Edition, The Robert Erdvine Show, and Access Live, E! News, among others. She's been featured in Cosmopolitan, Woman's World, the LA Times, Thrive Global, the New York Post, Marriage.com, and other leading publications. Sherry has also been a guest on many Sirius XM radio shows. She's the author of the best-selling book, Infinite Recovery, which addresses recovery from addiction and alcoholism through the lens of the law of attraction. Sherry is also the author of Love Smacked, in which she addresses relationship addiction and codependency, and is a contributing writer to the book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Tough Times, Tough People. Sherry maintains a private practice in Westlake Village, California, is the editor of the Recovery Today magazine and founder of Wake Up Recovery, an online group coaching program that applies the principles of positive psychology, the law of attraction, and mindfulness for codependents and addicts in recovery. It's a great pleasure. I welcome Sherry to the show. Welcome to the show, Sherry. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you on. I I know for me, our audience can greatly benefit from our conversation today. And after looking at your information, I just wanted to ask you, 
What is love addiction and what are the signs and symptoms of it? Well, I'm glad you asked. So basically my whole brand, when I first started or my whole, I guess what I really focused on in the beginning of my career was addiction. And that had to do with my own codependency and love addiction. I was married to an alcoholic and I was very obsessed with getting him sober. And when I realized that, I thought, you know, this is crazy. I'm writing a book about addiction. I'm focused on the alcoholic. What is my, what is my part in all this? And what I realized is I was a love addict codependent. And so about 10 years ago, I started this journey, really uncovering my own trauma, which is really at the basis of love addiction. But love addiction is a process addiction. So some people have addiction to substances. Others have addiction to what we call process addictions or lifestyle addictions or soft addictions. So when you think of love, internet, gaming, shopping, dating, spending, those are all these lifestyle addictions, but actually they have the same mood altering effects as drugs do or alcohol, only it's a, it's actually a behavior and it has withdrawal symptoms, just like alcohol and drugs do. For instance, if a breakup occurs, you go into what we call withdrawal. Your love addiction, part of you is just longing for that attachment. That is what you want. You want attachment. You want connection. You want to feel those pleasurable feelings of that lost relationship. And underneath all of it, and we'll get into that, is really a trauma, a feeling of emptiness, a feeling that you can't be alone. It's excruciating to think of yourself as alone. Was my story when I wrote my book, Love Smacked, I talk about my multiple relationships, my multiple marriages, and how going from one to the next was the only way I could survive. That was my addiction. So there's this need to be coupled up. There's not a lot of boundaries. You settle for less. You fear being, you know, on your own more than anything. You need others to feel whole. And then the codependent part kind of overlaps it where you really need affirmation to feel worthy. You, you know, you really need to feel needed and you need that validation. So, uh, of course, none of that can really come from another person. It really has to come from a connection with yourself. So that is what love addiction is. And I, I try to bring in toxic relationships on these interviews because often if you are a love addict or codependent, you're going to be prone to attracting a toxic person or even a narcissist because of the fact that you will settle for less. You know, it's interesting. I just have to say this. I went through a, a toxic relationship my own several years ago, and it took my best friend to make me realize it. I don't know if you find that in a therapeutic situation when you're working with clients, if it takes you talking to them sometimes, or if it takes someone else that they come to with, you know, is there, have you ever noticed that, that there might be someone on the outside that helps the person in the middle of it? Cause you think they say love is blind, you know? Well, you're probably, you probably were in a trauma bond. And if you were with someone that's toxic or a narcissist or someone who had narcissistic traits, you probably had this very severe trauma bond, which becomes addictive in and of itself. So it's very hard to even see or recognize it when you're in it because it's so toxic. So yes, definitely. Sometimes people don't even realize that they know that something's wrong. They have, and I'm sure being a psychic, you had deep intuition, there was something wrong, but the denial or wanting to be bonded to this person was greater than the truth of what you knew to be true, that it wasn't good for you. And that's why I say some of the stuff you do is so valuable because you could help people identify that issue and, and really work forward with it. And like, how would somebody in the audience know if they're in the middle of a toxic relationship? So that's a great question. So <laughs> some of the, some of the telltale signs, there's probably about six of them. You ruminate and obsess about them a lot. You know, you're always thinking about them. You feel you, you almost like twist yourself into something 
exactly what they want you to be because you're so afraid to be alone. So that's part of it. The other part is that you don't want them to be upset with you. So you just really try to turn yourself into exactly what you think they want you to be instead of really being your authentic self. Usually it's an abusive person. So you're walking on eggshells. There's a lot of criticism going on, a lot of devaluing, a lot of discarding of your feelings. Your feelings don't count. You feel guilty for everything because if you're with someone who's toxic, they always have to be right and you're you're always wrong. So there is never like any resolve. It's basically their way or the highway when they're constantly blaming you and you being probably most likely a love addict or codependent, or you've just in this toxic relationship, you take the blame. You're fighting constantly. There's a lot of manipulation, a lot of control, a lot of yelling, a lot of insulting. Sometimes it can become physical where there's a domestic violence piece to it. A lot of disrespect, a lot of betrayal, a lot of dishonesty. And most importantly, stop taking care of yourself. You start lacking that self-care of taking care of your physical appearance. You, you neglect your mental health. You really give up all those self-care habits and you, you really notice a, a huge drop in your own self-confidence and self-esteem. I just would think that, especially with the pandemic and everything we've been through, there's been a lot of couples that have gone through increased pressure. So I can only imagine the further need for people to understand and, and identify these dynamics right. and try to get out of them. Exactly. And- well, the, the, the pandemic kind of did two things. You either stayed in a really unhealthy relationship out of fear, just complete fear. Like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? There might be financial issues, children, co-parenting, all kinds of stuff. And then there's some people that realize, oh no, this is a no way relationship living with this person for this long. I realized this is a very toxic person. I need to get out. It just kind of amplified all the good or it amplified all the bad, but you know, it was a whole new normal of working side by side. Boundaries had to be created, had to figure, you know, had to figure out how to like navigate through this. It's been, it's been fascinating. It's been fascinating on every level. Like we now work from home. A lot of us, I just do uh, teleworking on Zoom now. I don't go into an office. I don't rent space. That's a whole new normal. So yeah, we're just, we're just finding out all kinds of ways of relating to the world from, from, from our, in our pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a more casual way of, of relating for sure. Virtually. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Why do you think people become addicted to toxic relationships? So what I was talking about earlier was it's usually some form of trauma that you've gone through and it doesn't have to be, you know, you could just be a really loving, compassionate, empathic, kind person, and you end up with a toxic person. But generally there's some history of a toxic relationship with a parent that led you to attract a man or a woman who um, you're really trying to recreate that toxic cycle. Our destiny is always going to be dictated by a, some co- a subconscious desire to somehow resolve some of those unresolved issues that went on early on. So if a parent was neglectful or you were abandoned or you maybe had a single parent and they weren't really available or you had to become a little adult as a child, all these things are going to reflect your adult relationship. I mean, everything stems from how we were raised, What was that relational dynamic with our parents? If we weren't properly able to develop self-esteem or a positive self-image, you know, we're going to get into probably toxic relationships because we, you know, we don't know what, what it feels like to feel like this is healthy. You know, if you had parents, you know, yelling all the time or fighting all the time, this is what you know. And 
that's what you end up searching for. I mean, I had great parents, but they did a lot. They fought a lot. And so to me, love was fighting. And again, they were great parents, but they also were kind of dysfunctional when it came to the fighting stuff. They really should have probably fought more in private instead of fighting in, you know, in front of us kids. And so it really set us up for um, thinking that's normal to have the ups and downs. And it really isn't normal. You know, you, uh, you want steady Eddie, you want slow and steady. Yeah. You don't want that tumultuous kind of chaos absolutely but you addicted to it if you grew up in it i guess because you're so familiar with it it's like when you talk about the law of attraction you may subconsciously attract it magnetizing yourself because that's what you know from prior oh, experiences that's right you always attract what you know and you are absolutely right about the law of attraction you know we create our realities by what we know what we think what we believe what we feel and that's why it's so important get into that that we really want to work on our own secure self. And we want to find someone who has a secure self. I mean, there's a lot of buzzwords about attachment styles. So often a love addict will have a very anxious attachment style and then they'll attract a love avoidant attachment style. So <laughs> really trying, Yeah. I mean, that's just like, they find <laughs> that sounds so toxic right there. One's running right, from right? It's like a magnet for each other. So, you know, the more secure you feel and you're going to find someone who is secure. And then the two of you are going to be a much better match because you're both on this secure path. I want to ask you about your book, Love Smacked. And I want to ask you the difference, if you could define it for us, like you define in your book, the difference from being in love and being in an unhealthy obsession. To be, you know, when you're in an health, when you're in a healthy relationship, generally the, the couples meet, you meet someone, there's this excitement, you idealize each other, you're forming this attachment, of course, you're connecting. But then as love matures, it becomes less intense. It becomes much more secure, like I was talking about earlier. And then trust develops alongside love. But people that are love addicts, they idealize the person. They're like in love with the idea of who the person is rather than who they really are. They never really feel secure enough to trust them. They become dependent on the person um, they love in a very unrealistic way. They hope somehow that this person will create a kind of happily ever after for them. It's very unrealistic to expect anyone else to create a satisfying life for you. So inevitably, you're going to be disappointed because you're expecting them to kind of fill this fairy tale dream, which no one really can do that. You know, the love has to start with you. So the relationships are ultimately pretty unsatisfying and the problem is you just can't live without them. So they're not really based on a healthy bond, but they're based more on a psychological bondage. That's, you know, that's a deep core of who we are. As if you think about it, is we're very, we're very thinking emotional beings. And if we have this obsessive tendency within ourselves for an unha- unhealthy connection with somebody, I would, I would think that that would be something that definitely should be identified and worked on. And from your vantage point, what is it, that you think causes the obsession itself to stem from within the individual? So it's, it's a lot of what I said earlier. Basically, it's an attempt to recover that lost childhood that you didn't get. You know, if you had received plenty of love and nurturing, then inside you're going to feel really secure. And that person will grow up with this good sense of self. But if you're someone who came from a dysfunctional family, then you're not going to have that feeling of wholeness inside or wholeheartedness, or there isn't going to be a feeling of a core self, there's going to be a feeling of being very invisible. So if you feel invisible, then you don't even know who you are and what your preferences are. You're going to pick whoever, whoever's out there. And generally that's what love addicts do. They just pick whoever wants them, whoever needs them, whoever attaches to them. And then it becomes sort of obsessive because it's not coming from a healthy place. It's coming from an unhealthy 
family of origin thing. That's why it's really important. You know, I talk a lot about really unearthing that trauma. If you're someone that really grew up in a very dysfunctional or traumatic childhood, you really need to find someone like myself or anyone that really works in trauma. We've got to really, you know, we really have to heal or discharge that all, all that toxic energy, trauma, whatever you want to call it. So we can, you know, bring in a healthy relationship, but a lot of times we don't want to do the work. And especially for a love addict, because we don't want to feel the pain of being alone. So we go right into another relationship. That was my story until I got into my early fifties after my last divorce. And I just said, no, I can't do this anymore. I got to really work on myself. So I learned how to love myself, spend time with myself. I took up canoeing. I, um, you know, I joined a 12-step program. I created my own programs. I wrote another book. I mean, all of this comes from just learning to be with yourself and knowing that no matter what, you can be with yourself. And that way you don't settle for anything that's less than what you deserve. You know, I like the way you say that. And I would say from my vantage point too, when you go through like traumatic dating experiences, I'm sure you've dealt with that, when people ghost you or when you try to get, you were talking about avoidant emotional people and stuff. Like when people are avoidant, one's coming to try to get to know somebody and the other one's avoidant due to prior trauma. I was going to just ask you in terms of the trauma and the obsessiveness of that kind of stuff. What do you get from that? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So I say that anybody that's struggling with love addiction or early trauma, you probably don't want to be on the digital apps because the whole nature of those are, it's, it's really there. It's, it's, a very unrealistic. I mean, I know it's one way to meet someone, but if you're not feeling good about yourself, you are going to take it personally when people ghost you. I mean, being ghosted is part of being on the app. You have to accept that if you can't, because that's just how it is. It doesn't make it right. I mean, I tried to put a, uh, I have a Instagram account called codependency curious. If anybody's interested, it's a great account. Codependency curious. And I put up a post once about ghosting about how to respond to someone who ghosts. And really what I was trying to say was, you know, we've lost the ability to be kind. We've lost the ability to have manners. You know, I'm older than you, Jason, but in my day, if you were fixed up with someone and they didn't like you, they would have the decency to say, you know, we're not a match, but it was really nice meeting you. Or, <laughs> you know, you'd have like these um, social cues to, to, but now today there is none of that just none of that. So when I made this post, people were like, oh, that's very codependent. You don't need to say anything to someone who's ghosted you. Just, just move, you know, go away from them, you know, leave them alone. You're acting needy. And I'm like, no, maybe you're just trying to explain to them that this is not the way we treat people. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's very interesting because you really don't want to waste your time if someone's ghosting you. I mean, I kind of see that point, but I also realize that we have a responsibility to be nice human beings, right? And if someone ghosts you, it's, it never is about you. It's yeah. I know that I can see that, but it also makes the person feel left behind in certain ways. And if they had, you know, I have people come to me with clients and stuff with those kind of issues over the years I've noticed, and and I'm not a therapist. So I would direct them to someone like you, but it's interesting because it made me think about the topic we're on right now. And I feel like when, you know, dealing with people that go through these things, it's very traumatic for them. So it kind of very traumatic. And I want people to give themselves a lot of compassion and, you know, it isn't, it, we're only human, right? I mean, I'm, I'm hundred percent. And I have all the information in the world up in my brain, but I also have my own stuff. We all have our own stuff. And when, and when you're having, I had this one client, I couldn't believe it. Every guy, she, she would meet them. They'd go out, they'd have a little mini relationship for a few weeks or a month or whatever you want to call it. A the beginning. situationship. Yeah. Oh yeah. Situationship. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm, okay. that's, that's I'm not that much younger than you, by the way, I'm in my mid forties. Oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm 63. 
Ah, yes. and, I'm, and I'm really proud to say it. So yeah. saying it. But anyway, I love that word situationship. But anyway, these guys just kept, you know, breaking up with her or ending it or, and I couldn't believe it. Like she's the nicest person. She's so beautiful. She has so much going for her. She's such a kind person. But anyway, it had nothing to do with her. She was just, it, it's just the nature of dating today. And you know, brutal. I always say it only takes one. Okay. So I know <laughs> it's hard out there guys, but and women, but it only takes one. So don't give up. Don't give up. I, I brought that in as an aside because I just I just know how many people have come to me recently with that topic where they say, and I think it's because what you said, it's the nature of online dating right now with everyone that we've been through in the last two years. I think a lot of people rely responsibility to yourself that if you're really taking this personally all the time and it's really like you know affecting you and you're just so depressed about it, there might be something else going on. This might be a trigger to something much deeper. So you I'll, definitely want to do that work. That that's that's a great point to raise for the audience for sure. Uh, I want to ask you this: What are the downsides to someone being obsessive? What are the downsides? Well, the downsides is that you that it just becomes your whole life. It be, you, you stop having balance in your life. It becomes it becomes everything to you. You you stop. You maybe start giving up your friendships. You give up your work. You might give up your financial uh, stuff. I mean, I look at you know when I was with my alcoholic ex, I basically. I mean, I gave, I, I was just, it was completely all about him. I was just in a very codependent relationship and I had to get out of that. Some people end up staying in really abusive, painful, incompatible, and unfulfilling relationships or marriages because they're so afraid of abandoning someone or they lack the autonomy or the agency to leave. And if they do leave, then they go and repeat the cycle again because they really haven't done the work on themselves or they believe they should be married, some social norm that I have to be married, or they can't imagine the emptiness that they'll feel if they're not married or in a relationship. And then they, the, the biggest thing, the other down, the biggest downside is that you become easy prey for really manipulative, selfish people who will recognize their extreme need and take advantage of it. I mean, I, I think of my own mother who at 78, after my dad died, she was getting the beginnings of dementia. She was getting, I mean, she was drinking too much. She was grieving and she was prey to this horrible con man, narcissistic individual who basically uh, financially and physically and sexually and emotionally abused her and really affected our whole family for about three and a half years. It was horrible. So we're all vulnerable if we don't work on ourselves or if we know we're in a vulnerable place in our life, don't go out there because you are going to be, you're going to be prey to someone who isn't very nice. The other downside is when, you know, obsession can lead you to lie to yourself. You, you know, you literally will deny the truth. You know, you'll make all these excuses for someone because that's better than being on your own or being alone. I was going to ask you too, a lot of people that go through this, they, they go through like a withdrawal from the yes. relationship itself. And I want to see if you could talk a little about that. It's agonizing. It's just agonizing. You feel empty. You feel obsessive. You feel panic. You feel this sense of not knowing who you are. You feel you'll never find love again. But on the positive side, it also gives you an opportunity to become whole again. Withdrawing is such a great time to meet yourself, to really meet the authentic self that you are. I mean, it's just such a great time to really embrace self-love and healing and healthier relationships. Just saying to myself, the word self-love, as you said that, because I think back to my own personal experiences in life and how self-love is so critically important. It's a buzzword. Oh, you have to love yourself first before you can love anyone else. You have to have self-esteem. It's a, it, But it isn't just like um, 
a code word or a buzzword. It's really basically having intimate relationship with yourself because until you have, if you don't have an intimate relationship with yourself, you can't possibly have an intimate relationship with someone else. You're going to keep picking unavailable if you're unavailable to you. You know, like I had a, a relationships with unavailable men, avoidant men, abusive men. It was all because I didn't have a relationship with me. And so that's what I attracted. So you got to start with that really close, healthy relationship with yourself. The word narcissist comes to mind a lot with a lot of circumstances in the dating world. People feel like the ex is usually a narcissist and they use the word freely. And I wanted to ask you about what's your viewpoint on how narcissists are and, and their relationship in toxic relationships itself and codependence, like how do they tie in together? So I'm real careful about when I call someone a narcissist or not a, a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder is someone that has lacks empathy. They have no way to see what your point of view is. They always have to be right. They own their brain literally cannot process what you want what you're thinking. They can pretend that they're processing it and they can love bomb you and they can pretend that they get you and they know you and all this stuff, but really deep down, they have no ability. But then there's people that can have toxic or narcissistic traits. It doesn't mean that they're full-blown. They can have some of those other traits. They can be you know, self-absorbed. They can be grandiose. They can blame you. They can be manipulative. I mean, there's, it's sort of, you have to think of it as a continuum. There's people all the way over here that are absolutely full-blown narcissistic abuse personality disorder, or they're over here where maybe they just have some of the traits. I mean, I dated someone a while ago. He asked me, he said to me on the first date, you know, I'm going to marry you. And that was completely a red flag because that would scare me. I'd run for the Hills. <laughs> it, was, it was not, it was weird. And I probably didn't listen to my voice as fast as I should have. I mean, it took me maybe, I don't know, a couple months, which is really way too long to, cause I know better. And that's another thing I want to say is, you know, sometimes we have all this information guys and we've done all the work and then we still relapse because <laughs> we all, we all want to be in love. We all want to, you know, we want to hope, hope for the best. So the, the thing that we have to always look at is, you know, what am I not wanting to look at? I mean, here someone said something that was a total red flag and it can happen to any of us and I ignored it. So don't ignore the red flags because those red flags are absolutely going to be the thing that breaks you up. And it was, I mean, this guy was totally over the top and he ended up being a very controlling, abusive individual. So we had to get rid of him. <laughs> but I, I mean, and I just share that story because it can happen to anybody. But what I'm talking about is love bombing. Narcissists are known for love bombing. They'll tell you that you are their soulmate. They'll tell you that, you know, they, they feel like they've known you forever, that you know everything about them, that, you know, you're meant to be together. They want commitment really fast. And the other thing they do is when you try to hold a boundary with a narcissist or a toxic person, they won't have it. They just will not have it. So if someone won't adhere to your boundaries or doesn't respect your boundaries, you're probably dealing with a narcissist or a toxic person. I find boundaries are critical and important. And so if someone isn't respecting those boundaries, is there any, some people may feel like, oh, maybe I can negotiate with somebody. You can't negotiate with somebody who's not respecting your boundaries. You got to identify what those boundaries are and they should be your must haves. 
And that is so true. I mean, and the reason a lot of codependent love addicts don't have boundaries is because they don't even know who they are. If you don't know who they are, how can you have your boundaries? How can you know what is okay and what's not okay if you don't even have a sense of self? So that's why it's so important to do the healing work to find out who I am so I can really know what my boundaries are. But don't ever have, don't ever feel like you have to justify or explain or defend yourself to a narcissist. They often, you know, use a lot of scrutiny or intimidation to, um, to make you second guess yourself, doing so makes them feel really powerful and in control. You know, part of boundary setting is the right to decide what you want to share with others. Be very careful not to share a lot of personal information right away. The less is better in terms of, you know, when you're dating, you know, just kind of slow and steady wins the race. You don't need to justify your thoughts, your feelings, your actions to an intrusive narcissist. And then here's just a couple of phrases you can use. So if an, if a toxic person is criticizing you, you can say to them, I hear your opinion and I will consider that. And you might even want to write this down. Or if they question your action, you can say, I'm confident in my choice. Or if they demand an explanation, you can say, that's personal. We'll have to just agree to disagree. I mean, just remember, you always have the right to walk away from somebody who's toxic or you feel someone is abusing you, whether you're in a relationship or you're in a dating scenario. I think that's great. And that's, you know, the choice is the freedom. It's, it's like giving the person the option gives them the freedom to walk away from a toxic scenario as well. They can choose to stay in it or move beyond it. And hopefully most people will choose to identify it and get out of it. I mean, it's, yeah, you want to really identify what do you want to do differently next time? What, you know, what, what does a good boundary include? And part of setting boundaries is knowing what you're prepared to do if your boundaries are ignored. I mean, consequence, consequences are best when they're clear in your mind ahead of time. And when a boundary is violated, act on your chosen consequence immediately, decisively, every single time. Otherwise, you lose your credibility. I love that. I want to ask, time's running low for us, but how can our audience get in touch with you directly? I'll have the info in our show notes and stuff, but I always give you an opportunity just to share on if someone's not looking at the show notes and they're listening to us while driving or something, you know, that kind of Sure. Thing. Well, thank you for ha- giving me this platform. Thank you for putting all of these links in your show notes. But I have a free ebook called Narcissistic Partners and Obsessive Love. And they also have a quiz with it that tells you if you are a love addict or with a narcissist. And that's at sherrygaba.com forward slash NP quiz. That's S-H-E-R-R-Y-G-A-B-A dot com forward slash NP quiz. And then for your listeners, Jason, I'm offering a dollar trial for my wake up recovery program. It's an online group coaching program for anybody that's dealing with a codependent, love addicted or toxic relationship. And they can go to wakeuprecovery.com forward slash IG one and they'll get the dollar trial wakeuprecovery.com forward slash IG one. Sherry, I just want to thank you for coming on today. It's it's such a relevant topic. I have so many people I know that are going to benefit from hearing our episode today because it's so important, critical to to have balance in your life and our love lives are so important. And and thank you. Thank you for sharing what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. And I I, I love it. I love, this was a lot of fun. (laughs) For me as well. For me as well. I just want to thank Sherry for coming on the show today and sharing her experience and her vulnerabilities. I think sometimes when you're vulnerable, people can relate to you better and understand that if you're in a toxic relationship, as you're listening to this, there are options for you. You're not stuck in it. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, I was in the middle of a toxic relationship for several years of my life. And one of my best friends helped me to identify that. And I took the steps to get beyond it. I gained the experience of self-love, made my own journey. 
and have since learned tremendously how important this topic is. And that's why I wanted to have this episode today. So if any of you feel like you're lost or you need guidance, contact Sherry. Her information will be in the show notes. Stay positive. And finding love is a challenge. It's not an easy endeavor, but you will find it. And the law of attraction, I invest a lot into that stuff. So manifest, stay positive, slow and steady, like Sherry said, and look at the information that she's offering in our show notes and the information that we've talked about today. Thank you so much. And stay positive because when you're positive, anything is possible. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook. And don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind. Embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.